0: one of the great questions in an interview people are talking to the startup and say how much of my time do you expect in a startup and the answer is all of it like <laughs> everything you have we will take and so when you when you do a startup a little bit later in life you're you reach your limits faster but I don't actually think it's necessarily a bad thing because everybody will reach the limits and so you know you can be working 18 hours a day you still don't have enough hours in the day and at some point you have to realize you can't do all the things you're trying to do Didier Elzinger, founder
1: and CEO of Culture Amp, founding a company that scaling means sooner or later hiring people, quite a few in this case. And when you're pitching to a global market, that means adding the complexities of hiring across continents as well. A quick preface to the next bit. Maya Angelou is an American poet, memoirist, writer, and prolific contributor to culture. Kanye West, Nicki Minaj, and Tupac Shakur among others credit her as an inspiration. If you saw Bill Clinton's inauguration back in 1993, Angelou was there on the steps of the Capitol building to recite her famous poem on and the pulse of morning.
0: Your country and say simply Very simply, with hope, good morning. One of the things that's more important to me more recently when I think about how do you motivate and engage people across multiple offices and lots of people in the company, there's a Maya Angelou quote, which is, I won't remember what you said, I won't remember what you did, but I will remember how you made me feel. And focusing on that in communication that... My job is to try and make people feel a certain way rather than necessarily to, for them to remember the exact words I used or, or, or what it was that we were talking about. I'm a bird for quotes. I love, the, I love these things. This episode, we
1: hear from three employees at Culture Amp, a few others as well, about joining, contributing to and growing with the company. The first, actually the first employee at Culture Amp, you know him already
2: jason again riffing on what it's like to be in a startup here in melbourne
1: from last episode where the team picked up adobe as a client and pretty much the whole company went to california caught the cal train and made it all happen you're a doctor
2: uh yeah one of those
1: non-medical doctors
2: though. So, so some people say that's not a real doctor but i have a phd
1: the second but not the second employee, someone who joined Culture AMP about two and a half years ago. She was working with the founders in the co-working space.
3: My name's Nicole Dominic. I am a designer here at Culture Amp.
1: More than two and a half years is long enough to see a huge change in the company.
3: It's to me I kind of just sometimes describe us as a, a grown-up startup.
1: And one of the most recent hires based in the US.
4: My name is Stephanie Sutton.
1: Stopping by Melbourne to meet everybody at the head office here.
4: I am from Alabama in the US. I am in my fourth week with Culture Amp, so brand new.
1: Stephanie was approached by a recruiter through LinkedIn
0: and made it through the interview hoops. One of the challenges as you grow is, is standardizing. So that's the thing that we're working through at the moment is um, getting a more consistent model. Generally speaking, there's an initial screening call and then there's an in-depth, what you call a WHO interview where you're really trying to get to understand that person. It takes If I'm doing it, it takes about two hours and it goes from high school all the way through to your current role. It doesn't matter whether you're 15 or 20 or 50. So it takes a long time. Um, and then after that, we have a series of follow-up interviews with, with other people. If I'm interviewing someone, it's either because I'm hiring the role or if I'm doing the founder interview. So, by the time it gets to the founder interview, I'm not there to make the decision on whether we hire or don't hire the person. If it gets to me for a founder interview, we've already decided we're going to hire them. I'm there to part sell them and, and part get to know who they are on the way in. Uh, and essentially, what I'm looking for is just to get sort of understanding of what motivates them, you know, what, what drives them, what have patterns that I look for I won't give them away, but uh, uh, there are certain things that are important to me in you can see over over a career of somebody um, things that stand out that I think will give them a good chance of success like one of the things I believe in is there's no point asking people hypothetically what would you do in this situation whether they mean to or not they'll just tell you what you, they think you want to hear you really have to focus on what did they do and how did they do it and what keeps playing itself out because the best predictor of what they're going to be like here is what they've been like in the past
1: side note for those interested two of the four co-founders have we're hiring on their linkedin profile headline john williams and didier if you're interested we're at episode number three in this season of scale up a podcast by launch victoria i'm courtney carthy it's a reflective look at finding traction, maintaining it, and inevitably scaling up. Let friends or colleagues know about the show. They can find it like you, where you listen to podcasts, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We're interested to hear what you think about this first season. A bit about Launch Vic. it's Victoria's startup ecosystem development agency. And its role is to help build the infrastructure for entrepreneurs and startups like Culture Amp here in Victoria. If that's you or think it might be you, check out launchvic.org and find them on social media.
2: For me, we just started working together.
1: Dr. Jason McPherson. So they said, hey, can you put these,
2: you know, can you look at how we would ask these questions and how, what, how we would design this thing and gave them some input. And then, you know, a day later, they'd have mock-ups. And then a few days after that, we'd actually have something built working in, in the platform. So we really, uh, you know, took this project that would have been traditionally delivered um, on existing sort of fairly old school technology. Um, in the space of three or four weeks, we were delivering this in a brand new you know format really so so for me it was yeah just watching that unfold and just starting to work directly so it was a very direct experience of just getting straight involved and working
1: he started consulting then on three days a week then became full-time with some shares and of course a pay cut at the sunrise conference held by blackbird ventures early in 2017 didier remembers one part of his decision
0: and he's a, he has a PhD in clinical psychology, and he did his PhD with my wife. And I came home one day and I said, how smart is Jason? And she said to me, one, he's the uh, person the stats lecturers go to when they have a problem. And two, if you hire him, I'll let you put more of our money into the company. So we hired him.
1: And for Jason, that meant saying goodbye to his employer for good
2: I told them that I was going off to try and get involved in the startup world. what did they say? Uh, they kind of tried to persuade me not to leave, um, but I made it fairly clear that this was a decision I was going to make anyway, and that this was I had an ideal opportunity that I wasn't going to wasn't going to skip on. So, yeah, so I just made a really plain, straightforward case that this was a decision I was going to make. And, uh, yeah, a couple of people I work with now work here. So, you know, I, I did some, I guess it's retrospective poaching, but <laughs> 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 at, the, at the time they told me I was abandoning them. So, so, then, so, <laughs> so I went back for them.
1: <laughs> Coming into the company as an employee then, the company was at such an early stage, there wasn't really a structure for him to slot into especially as he was the first. I've often thought, like, back then, like, I used to do lots of the sales. So, you know, start-up,
2: I was... um, One of the early periods, we kept swapping roles, you know, like, so Doug was kind of uh, acting as chief finance officer for a while.
0: I I would say that the the reason I ended up the accountant was because of the four engineers that started the company I was the one that cared the most about us spending too much money in certain areas.
2: Everyone's a chief back then right because there's only five of us so you're chief of something.
0: Even now Jason's still
1: a chief he's the chief scientist. Among the team there was an expectation about how they would communicate and interact that had a lasting impact on the culture carried through to this day. All of us expected uh,
2: openness and transparency um, from the others very early on and so that became the kind of DNA of what we expected in the company from that point on and so that just become very early on part of the culture and we continue that and now we're more conscious about it we go no we want to maintain that that's just because we enjoy working in places like that and have not enjoyed working in the opposite yeah it makes some things harder because you're always, because you've created this expectation in all the all of your people that, that that's what it's like and that means that you know you're often talking about things that are, require a lot of nuance or you know need to be explained in detail you know uh, to fully um, for someone to be able to fully understand it um, cap raising is one of them you know like a lot of people think it's just oh this is evaluation and this is that um, but that's often not enough to make someone understand why you chose a particular uh, investment uh, partner really. Uh, and you, yeah, you create that expectation and then people expect you to explain and be open and transparent about a whole bunch of other things as well, because that's part of your culture.
3: The culture of CultureAmp is, is one that's really collaborative and open and honest.
1: This is Nicole Dominic, a designer at culture Amp. She joined about two and a half years ago in the co-working space and has probably made the most visible impact on the company outside its founders.
3: Had a chat with Didier and he was like, "Okay, how long do you think it would take to come up with, you know, a new kind of Coltramp brand? And I I paused for a minute and went, I think it's going to take me about a month. (laughs) And he was like, "Okay, great, you've got a month. And I was like, oh... Shit. <laughs> I think the way to get a a good a really great result that resonates with the company and that kind of works externally as well as, is to be really immersed in like in, in the company and what they're doing and and how and how it feels to actually be there. In the okay, beginnings right like I guess starting at at Amp, there's a bit of a there's a few different steep learning curves. One of them is actually learning about how the product works and what it does and all of its sort of complexities. I mean, the awesome thing about, about Culture Amp is that the technology and the design and, and all of our kind of psych experts make this really complex thing feel easy for the customer to use. Um, and so it's kind of getting to know all of those bits and pieces and then talking to people about who our customers actually are, sort of what what they really care about and what their, their pain points are and then to kind of t- talking to Didier and the founders about what the vision for the, for the company is and sort of digesting all of that and and figuring out a way of expressing it in a way that's some, that makes sense to people I guess or, or at least I think initially um, people can sort of emotionally connect with.
1: What Nicole created from looking within the company Was not just a brand, but it's called an Enso, which became Culture Amp's logo that you see.
3: It's actually this like Japanese Zen Buddhist symbol. That's this. It's the circular brushstroke. So that's like the the mark is is inspired by this by this circular brushstroke called called the Enso, and it's this. It's kind of this meditative experience where you kind of let your mind try and not think of anything and hold this brush in your hand and create this, this circle. And it's this kind of true expression of like the, the mind and body in that very moment. Pretty, pretty deep. Yeah. <laughs> the link that I, that I make with that symbol and what we do with like creating these rituals of, of collecting feedback is that these marks that you make um, in this moment are these? They become these snapshots in time, and you can kind of you can look at this and kind of map out this pattern and see the change. I guess yeah, that's kind of how I sum up the the symbolism of the Enso and 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 culture Amp and what we do.
1: And the freedom for Nicole to create the brand is a great example of the trust in culture.
3: Kind of the most difficult to stick to, but the one that's kind of most rewarding is is the whole trusting people to make decisions value, um, and you kind of see that you know enacted every day, like through through everyday work. Like for example, I've been trusted to make a lot of decisions, things to do with you know designing Culture Amps brand and what we kind of look and feel like to the outside world as well as internally, to kind of personal projects that I've taken on board like our office fit out for example. Oftentimes if you kind of feel passionate about a particular area or a project at Culture Amp, there is the space to kind of stick your hand up and, and have a go at it. And people really kind of appreciate that passion and that enthusiasm and know that particularly if it's the first time you're doing something here, which I think for most of us, the jobs that we're doing here at Culture App, we've probably never done before. You're going to make mistakes and that's kind of, that's part of the whole process. Um, and, I th- and what we try and what we, we're really conscious of doing here is setting up an environment where people feel okay to try new things. Um, and, and it's okay to make those mistakes and, and do things and be doing things for the first time. And we're all kind of in the same boat.
1: Which is necessary when one of the functions within the company is to help employees grow as best they can.
3: And we've we've had kind of discussions here amongst um, the design practice about, I guess, what we can do to to kind of surface and elevate product design in Melbourne because it's a rel- it's still a relatively new profession, and we find that when we're like recruiting for for product design roles, it's it's tricky to find people who are, who have been doing it for a while, and so it's definitely something that we've that we've thought about. Well, we feel like Coltramp is a great environment to actually train people up, and so if we hired juniors or, or people who hadn't had a lot of experience in product design, maybe they were graphic designers, maybe they were kind of on more of the industrial design and user experience spectrum and, and had an interest in, you know, what does a career in product design look like? What does it look like um, to work at a, at a tech company in product design? That we're, we're kind of a, a good place to, to cultivate that.
0: You need to be constantly looking at something and just the fact that somebody's doing really well doesn't mean that they're going to be able to take that thing to the next level in the time that you need them to so what's happening is you know you're managing x you know 100 clients and you're like you're doing that great but now we need to manage a thousand clients and you know would you be capable usually yes that's why you're doing the hundred because you're growing really quickly and you're very smart and very good at it Um, but realistically it's going to take you two years to get to that point uh, and it should take you two years. Nobody could do it any faster. But we need somebody who can do a thousand now. And so, do we go out and find somebody who can do a thousand, and then bringing that person in? What does that do for you? And it, the the challenge is, it's very easy for somebody to feel demotivated and go, "Well, okay, well, I'm not wanted here anymore," which is actually not the case. The question is, that person that comes in a thousand needs you, needs to help you get there. And interestingly, when when uh, when we hired JD, who's uh, our chief growth officer based in San Francisco, and so. He came on board um, at the start of the year and he, he was the CMO at Trello and the VP of Marketing at Zendesk when they went from 10 to 100 million. And so for me, that was very much a part of, once we got to 10 million in revenue, I was looking to go, okay, now I need to build a plan to 100. We've, just, we've done zero to one, we've done one to 10, now we're doing 10 to 100. And I've got all these amazing people in the team, but none of us have done 10 to 100. Now, none of us had done one to 10 either. Or zero to one. We figured that out. And so I went out to market looking for somebody that had done the journey but and had scars we wouldn't have to earn, but wasn't so scarred. They couldn't be flexible, couldn't come in and, and work with us. And when I was talking to the team, I was saying, okay, I want to bring this person in. And it's not me bringing somebody in over the top of you to push you down. It's actually to say, what if we could find somebody? Like right now I'm spending... of my time on the say with the customer team my sales and marketing etc I'm spending 10-20% of my time what if we could get somebody who could spend 100% of their time or was 10 times better than me so it's actually not about um, necessarily levelling up the senior people that reported to me it was actually about levelling me up by bringing somebody in who could take what I was trying to do and do it better and that I think has worked really well and it's been a really great experience for us as a company
1: at the time, they're balancing this internal growth with external people and skills necessary to scale. Didier explains the influence raising money can have on employees, that derived from the simple need to go faster, as fast as is absolutely possible.
0: At the Series A phase, they're they're saying, okay, we can see that you have some element of product market fit. You have something that people want. How do you go faster? And A lot of the conversations are actually really helpful where they'll often be framed something like, do you have the people you need to do what you need to do? So, you know, what are your goals? Are we being aggressive enough? Are we um, going after the right part of the market? And then once we have a sense of what we're trying to achieve, are we resourced appropriately? You know, do you have enough people, but also do you have the right sort of people? And I think um, VCs are, are very good at, Constantly reminding yourself that you have to level up. You know, every six months you need to look around and go, "We've leveled up," and that's actually quite difficult as a company. And it's difficult when you talk about it internally with people too, because it's very hard for any one person to continue to level up every six months at the rate you're trying to grow your company. You're looking to double or triple the company every every year. And so, one of the things that the one of the challenges that you always get from VCs, and it's probably not so much at the Series A stage, but certainly at B and and at C is great this person you have is really good and I'm sure they can get to the point that we need them at but can you afford to wait or do you need to have somebody who's already got that skill or that experience and know that by the time that person that you already had was ready for it uh, the, the whole company will have grown and there'll be plenty for them to do and those are there's, those are hard questions. There's no easy answers to those, and it's one of the things everybody struggles with in a startup. Which is people are attracted to a startup because they want the opportunity to grow and you know have a bigger piece of the pie and own more of the thing. That's you know you walk out of a bigger company into a smaller one because you want that opportunity. Uh, but then you're just trying to hang on as the company's growing really really rapidly, and the company's trying to go. Okay, you're doing great, but do we need somebody who's a little bit ahead of you to help the company get where it needs to go?
1: Recruiters are of course recruiting, while culture amp is culturing. For successful candidates, there's a whirlwind trip through the international offices and the head office, and induction processes kick in. This is where I find Stephanie Sutton. Stephanie started out as an actuary, moved across to sales, and until recently had been working at Verisk Analytics. A risk management company based in New Jersey with an annual turnover of about two billion US.
4: A few years, I was the head of sales um, for the organisation.
1: Stephanie had left Verisk, was spending time with her family before Jesse, a recruiter, found her on LinkedIn. Jesse described Culture Amp, and the story resonated.
4: I think that the one thing that I have really, really noticed um, in everything that we do. At Culture Amp, is that while we talk about putting culture first and, and people first, and it, it, is it's it's it happens. So examples, you know, people are always stopping what they're doing to help someone else, and um, you know, kind of coming together around a project. You know, we have project days, we have hackathons, and where people come together to work on things that to make Culture Amp a better company. Um, the other thing that I have noticed in just examples, like Ramon, um, who is who is my mentor here, um, in the handovers he's been doing to transition some some of the salespeople over to me um, in my you know leadership role here, he spends the first several minutes telling stories about the individual, you know, not really about their role or their accomplishments or you know whether they're making their numbers or not which is typical um it's much more of you know the background and the story and the cool thing about this person as a human being and i think that that really is something that is permeates throughout here is that caring deeply about the the individual's work-life balance and individual's professional growth and development know, we have the concept of a personal quest. You know, where, where, where do you want to be with your life? And even if that quest takes you outside, and, be, you know, Culture Ramp ultimately very supportive of that here. Mm. That is unheard of from my perspective. I've never experienced anything like that in my career. It's inter- there's a very interesting dynamic here that also attracted me to, to Culture Ramp. Um, I've been in sales for many years, 20 years plus, and um, it's the first time I've come into an organization where we don't have commissions.
1: Is that a very American
4: thing? That is a very, un- that is not done. That is a very brand new kind of concept. It's, it's, um, it's a movement that, um, actually Daniel Pink, um, has a book called Drive, he sort of started this theory that, you know, you didn't need to pay Salespeople commissions that it wasn't necessary that they, you know, were driven by other other things. So, this is very important to to culture that they sustain this. So, um, salespeople are salaried, and you know, everyone has a stake and ownership in the company. Mm. Um, so, I, I find this very intriguing. So, coming out of a traditional model, you know, will can we make this work? Yeah. And um, it's very exciting for me because. Um, sort of changing the perception of the sales profession is um, a little bit my personal quest. You know, it's my experience that um, when you are building a culture gra- gradually and there is a commitment from the top down that you know I believe fully that we'll be able to sustain it. Given the level of commitment I've seen um, from Didier and the founders as well as anyone here I see no reason that it won't thrive and, and become a model that other companies look up to
1: in a short amount of time under five years culture amp has gone from the collection of laptops to over 180 employees across four offices the difference in their experience punctuated by when they joined the company Obviously, a business of four people is different from a business of 20 and vastly different from a business with close to 200. But there's a consistency that's thoughtfully maintained, initiated by those who started the journey early and carried on by more recent hires. Management consultant Steve Pell works with Culture Amp from a couple of floors above. He says there's something noticeably different about what they're doing compared to startups in other cities where many high-growth companies have come before them.
5: If you look at how most people do that order of magnitude growth from 1 to 10 to, to 100, the order of magnitude growth is, comes by replacing people because people just can't keep up with the internal rate of growth. These guys are saying, we don't want to do that by replacing people, we want to grow our people at that pace that is phenomenally hard. Like there's a lot of organizations who sell basically culture or better culture who would talk about things like that on their blog or they talk about that in their podcast that organizations might be more family friendly by having the CEOs say it's okay to go home with you, go home to pick up your kids from school or whatever. But then to have that happen in like to have the that actually happen in the organization and be internally consistent about it and do it is not something you see a lot. You see the marketing message a lot, you don't see the actions a lot.
1: Nicole's impression of the company, how she sees culture amp from something quite new and small to something much more mature, but still agile.
3: I kind of just sometimes describe us as a grown-up startup so <laughs> and I think the move to this office in particular was a bit of a was a bit of a milestone and a mark in time that kind of symbolizes our maybe moving into teenage hood or something from like early early startup and yeah I guess in in terms of a vibe that you know where there are 130 odd people in the company now and we are, you know, spread across four locations around the world. It definitely doesn't feel scrappy, but there definitely is still an element of kind of hustle and people kind of, you know, wanting to get things done, you know, quickly and and iterating really quickly and and making mistakes. So all of those sort of startup values or those buzzwords that you that you hear bandied around when talking about startups is definitely um, I feel like it's, it's definitely still alive at Culture Amp. Um and now really it's a it's it's trying to get the balance right between keeping that that kind of you know hustle and that pace up whilst you know realizing that as we grow and get bigger we're going to need more systems and processes that's actually going to help with that growth and not necessarily slow us down so yeah i think I think that's been an interesting change like over the last over the last couple of years.
0: when we did our uh, sort of welcome to the new office party, the thing I opened with because it was a Friday night I think uh, was to just thank everybody for being there because at the end of the day we we borrow the time we have at work from people that are much more important to us than the work is. It's very easy to forget that um, but I think it's important for us as a workplace to recognise that that's what we're doing and give people a reason that when they're here it should be important and valuable uh, and then they have somewhere to go and that we should try and make that work if we can. I know I do. I I actually was in San Francisco a few months ago and uh, I gave a talk. We had a dinner, so invite everyone out to dinner and I got up and said that the night before I'd been in the office at like 11 o'clock because I'd left my bag in the office and I'd gone out to dinner and I'd come back to pick up my bag and I looked around and particularly at night, it's it's either early, really early in the morning or late at night when everyone's gone. And I just sort of look around the floor and you see all these computers and you see all people's staff and desks and stuff written on the walls and meeting rooms. And uh, you go, wow, like, you know, in some way I contributed to all of this. All of this is here because I set off on this crazy journey. Uh, and that's really humbling. It's actually incredibly humbling to look around and see all these people are investing their energy in something they believe in, and you help set the stage for that. That That's pretty cool. And there, there was a tipping point, actually, in our previous Melbourne office where I walked into a meeting room to take a call, and I looked up at the whiteboard, and I realized that I couldn't work out who'd written it, and I couldn't even work out what they were actually necessarily doing um, and had my name on it and I was like oh wow we've reached a tipping point now where (laughs) I don't know somebody's doing something that I'm not aware of uh, that I'm going to be involved in at some point that's kind of cool next
1: episode we step back a few years where the team finds a term sheet in a Sydney taxi no way, come on, thought he, thought he was having us on, but uh, it turned out, yeah, it was uh, we have been given a team, team But there's more to it, of course. It's all about raising venture capital and the impact it's had on Culture app, along with a special guest. You might know him already if you're part of the community. Bill barty I'm uh, co-founder of Blackbird Ventures and also now running main sequence ventures, which is CSIRO's venture fund. When somebody asks you at a party or a function, how do you describe yourself? Uh, I describe myself as an assistant to the best
2: companies I can invest in.
1: (laughs) Subscribe and tell a friend, leave a review, and share the podcast on your socials. I'm Courtney Carthy. Thanks so much for listening to Scale Up from Launch Victoria. And for more information about Victoria's startup community, check out launchvic.org.